0: Please don't go, I need you, so I
1: Because you can't get good biscuits in New York City, I'll tell you that
0: much. No, really? No. That's sad. Um, I hate to say this, and I will never, well, I, I'm going to edit this out. I would never admit this publicly. And if you tell anybody I said this, I'll deny it. Okay. But um, Hardee's biscuits, not the worst. Whoa. I know.
1: Okay. But I can see that because they're from like St. Louis. Aren't they I, a St. Louis? I friend? think so. Okay. I can,
0: They can make a biscuit. They can make a biscuit. I believe that. So if you're like in a desperate, I guess it's Carl's Jr. here. I can't remember which is which. Yeah, I don't know which is which. Where is where? Because where I grew up, it was Hardee's, but other places it's Carl's Jr. Anyway, um, biscuits are important. You should always know where your next good biscuit is coming from. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what I have to say about that. (laughs) So bean. Welcome to Feminist Hot Dog. Thank you.
1: I'm so excited. I'm so
0: excited that you're here. You're, well, welcome listeners. This is Feminist Hot Dog, the news, humor, and cultural survival podcast by, for, and about women and female identified folks and femmes of all, all varieties. And... I'm here with Angbin Salim, who is an artist, poet, fashion influencer. Oh I, that, this, those are my it's words. Too much. She's she's
1: but I crumbling,
0: <laughs> um, but she totally is. And the voice of her generation, <laughs> which I'm going to have to. T- yeah, I have two have stories. I have two stories that I need to tell about you. But the the number one I think most relevant story is that when feminist hot dog first popped into my mind after. Sort of during and after the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, and I was kind of a desperate puddle of like angsty mush, and I was like, I know what I should do. I should have a podcast and call it Feminist Hot Dog. And I called my friend Ang Bean in New York City, and I said, Is this a good idea? I don't. I don't know if this is a good idea. And she said, Yes, you should definitely do it. So it's true. So thank you for giving me the um, the. Chutzpah to um, to start a podcast because I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. So and and here we are and I have like maybe ten percent more of an idea of what I'm doing. Girl,
1: that's, you're doing it.
0: I'm just little by little. Yeah, that's how it
1: that that's how it gets done to do it.
0: I think that's how it gets done. Yeah. And you just have to like record an episode and if you say Something that you're like, I don't know, should I have said that? You put it out in That's the world right. and the world
1: tells you. turns out. <laughs> you find out. People
0: tell you. Um, by the way, I have a cor- I have two corrections corners that oh, I, wow. yes, that oh my I, gosh. um, that I need to um, say from a couple of weeks ago when we did um, did an episode with the fabulous Madison and I uh, we were talking about clemency for Centoya Brown mm-hmm. and I called her Centonia Brown oh, I don't know why I did that because I had it spelled correctly in my notes and everything yeah. and just my mind like added an N so apologies right. to her and also apologies to the first partner of California who I totally fucked up her name. Oh, no. <laughs> i said her name was siebel newsome and her name is jennifer so <laughs> wait where did you get siebel i think from? siebel is her maiden
1: name oh <laughs> and so, you were just like she probably i name was like siebel. i think
0: her name is siebel but it's not and um so apologies to her sorry jennifer. sorry both some jennifer and, and santoya September, yeah um, but anyway, let's let's live in the present now. Mm-hmm. We're here together. Um, I'm very excited. So Angbin, Bean, you used to live in Montgomery. Now you live in New York City. Yeah. City girl. Oh my God. I like your city kicks. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Those see they're they're very yeah, love them. They're these like kind of cool white high tops with this nice texture on the back like them very much. Some green shoelaces. Super
1: Marshalls, that's where it's at. Super, Super dope. city people shop. That's where the fashion
0: influencers <laughs> shop, y'all. You heard it here. Um, so you moved to New York City not too long ago. And I. so when I think of you and like who you are, I really think of you as a poet and like an appreciator of poetry. Um And you would be, I guess, I think the second person who does poetry that I've had on the show. So I would just love to hear. Can you just talk to us a little bit about your poetry journey? Yeah,
1: I mean, I started writing poetry when I was in sixth grade um, and it was um, it was a little uh, (laughs) it was it was very interesting things. I had a poem I remember about Fuzzy Wuzzy. Um, like the
0: the one who was a bear?
1: The one who was a bear. And it was like him going on a journey with all these colors, you know. Um, and I wrote lots of like emo poetry and lots of... Po- I wrote a poem about like being a chicken who couldn't back away from a fight. Meanwhile, I had never been in a fight. So I was like, what, where was I writing these poems from? I have no idea. Um, but yeah, I, and then when I got to like high school and college, I kind of stopped. Um, and actually, when I was in Montgomery... I saw this, like, online workshop for a poetry workshop with um, the Blue Shift Journal, which everyone should definitely check out because they have amazing poets, run their workshops, and they're all online. Um, So I was like, this is, like, the perfect opportunity. Um, I can do it from Montgomery. I don't have to go anywhere. And it was, like, I think it was relatively inexpensive. Um, And so, yeah, I started... I was writing poetry before then, but not like in a thoughtful way. Um, And yeah, and my professor or workshop person or whatever, um, her name is Paula Tran and she's amazing. Um, And I get to see her in New York City very occasionally. Um, And she was just really encouraging. Um, And after that, I was like, this is a thing I want to do more of. Um, And I actually like want to spend time doing this. And so... Last year, I took a, another workshop at Cave Canem, which is um, kind of an organization for peop, for poets of color, um, and it started off um, focusing on Black poets, but now they kind of have opened it up. Um, and I went on this really amazing retreat for called Pink Door Retreat, which if you're um, a trans person or a woman of color, um, you should definitely apply to, and you're into poetry. Um, because we were just, like, out in the middle of nowhere, outside of Rochester, just writing poems and wow. appreciating each other. And it was just, like, I had never been in a space like that before. Um, shout out to Rachel McKibbins, who, like, makes that happen. Um, yeah, it was, like, the most magical experience of my life. That's so... I. It's really... You almost never hear people say something like that. I know. And the last night, like, I don't want to spoil it in case, like, anyone who listens to this is going to go. But, like, the last night we just, like, did this, I don't know what you want to call it, like, ritual thing. And that, like, my mind was blown. Wow. It was just like... Yo, and the stars were out. I was just like, look at the universe. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I did that and like I and now I'm doing like this year-long poetry workshop and hopefully like working on some kind of chapbook or manuscript. Um with Angel Nafis, which I'm really excited about because I have like a huge crush on her. Um, I'm also excited (laughs) or nervous because there's an interview I listened to with her on the Versus podcast, which y'all should also check out if you like poetry. And I listen to it to go to sleep because it calms me down and it's really beautiful. And mm-hmm. I'm worried I'm going to be in class and like going to sleep.
0: <laughs> well, that might be the ultimate compliment. You never know. I don't know if she'd appreciate that. Maybe you could just pretend you're in a trance.
1: Um, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm like really enchanted with her. Right. So yeah. enchanted
0: you had to become unconscious. Right. <laughs> um, well, thank you. I, so when, you and I have kept in touch a little bit since you've been been to New York. And I know we've talked about how you feel like you kind of have like a love hate, maybe, maybe love hates, not the exact, you've had sort of like a battle with that city. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, so one of the things that I'm interested in, And sort of gearing up to ask more questions about it on this podcast is how do people overcome things that feel so hard and it Mm. seems like at times New York has felt like like kind of a battle for you do you mind just talking a little bit about kind of what that's been like for you and how like what what do you sort of turn to when you just feel like fuck man this place is hard
1: yeah I mean I think like One of the hardest things about New York is just, like, not having community there. And I think a lot of places it's really difficult to have community or build community when you move. But New York in particular, just because things feel really far apart and it's really, everyone's really busy. Um, And I also, like, miss, like, connection to nature, which I feel like I had more in... Montgomery, like I could, you know, drive to the beach or like go hiking. And I can't really do that as easily in New York. So one of the things i have actually taken up there is I I've started this certificate in urban farming.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah.
1: So that just started. And the, the focus of the program is also on food justice in general. So it's like, Learning about the land and learning about nature, and also building community with a lot of people. Um, So I think that's like one way I've kind of I found this thing where I'm like, this can supplement a lot of the things that I feel were missing. Um, So I think like finding those little pockets of joy has been really helpful, and that's one thing. And like definitely writing has been another thing, and really like being having gratitude for the joyful things that i am able to access and even though i still like i have a really difficult relationship with that city and being down south again i'm like why am i here (laughs) (laughs) why don't i live down here um but i think like there are there are opportunities that are more accessible to me now that i'm in new york like this workshop the poetry workshop that I'm going to be doing for example or even the even that poetry retreat like Mm. it was just a bus ride away compared to like taking two planes and paying for all of that so there are definitely things that are like more accessible and I'm just trying to really be appreciative of the things that I do have going on for me even though that like definitely feels very hard at times um but, yeah, like, trying to find the new ways or the new rituals I can create for myself. I've been thinking a lot about ritual mm-hmm. and, like, what are what are my daily rituals or weekly rituals that I can feel grounded in? Um, I don't know. That I think that's, like, the biggest thing because I, I feel very ungrounded sometimes. Mm-hmm. And finding those and being, like, grounded in myself helps with that for sure. Yeah. Well...
0: I love all all of that I think rituals um, I've heard other people say similar things and that's that's something that's I think some people re- really like naturally have that like kind of built into their lives yeah. and then other like I've always just been I don't know. I I have a harder time with that kind of structure, but it's getting better as I get a little bit older. So I think that's really very wise advice. That brings me to. So I want to tell the second story. Oh my gosh! Which is, (laughs) I don't. This is the second time I've even told this story today. So when Angbin and I used to work together, I had a dream about her, (laughs) which I felt compelled to tell her about because it was so powerful. I dreamt that I was at this. It was like a concert or a conference or a party or some big gathering of people, and this man. Came up to me and said, "Do you know Bean Salim?" And I said, "Yes." And he said, "You should listen to everything she says because she is the voice of her generation." <laughs> I can't do. It. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "I, I will." <laughs> so, <laughs> you honestly can't gas me up like this, Adrian. Oh my god. But I just, um, I, I have, I just think you're a very, like, you're very young, but you're very wise. You, you just have to hear me on this. That you are a very wise soul, and people should listen to you. Yay, Well,
1: I appreciate you. Thank you.
0: Um, another question that I had for you is, do you c- mind talking about your path as a feminist and like what feminism means to Ooh. you as a, as a poet, as a woman, an appreciator of nature, friend, Ooh. all of that. That's a really
1: good question. Okay, I was actually thinking about this a lot when you asked me to come on the show and also the feminist heart sing. I was just like, I don't know. It's not that I don't think of myself as a feminist, but it's never been my primary kind of mode of thinking. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe just because, I don't know, maybe because uh, I'm an immigrant from a working-class family, like race definitely played, at least when I was younger, a bigger part in my life Mm -hmm. or in ways that were more um, obvious. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, because definitely (laughs) sexism, patriarchy definitely played a role in my life. But I think the racism was just more obvious and I could see it more. And there was more of a language to talk about it when I was growing up. Um, Whereas I feel like with feminism, there wasn't that language, and, like, I, yeah, so I feel like it wasn't until, like, maybe, maybe it wasn't even, until I was in college that I was really thinking about, like, what feminism means to me, and, you know, also as, like, someone who's Muslim, like, what does that mean to me, and what does that look like to me, and what might, how might that be different, um, because there was, I think I had been inundated with a lot of, like, white feminism. Mm. Uh-huh. And I was just like, I know this can look different. I know that feminism is not just, like, I can go to work, you know, or, stuff, or like, I can vote. It's about intersectionality. It's about all different levels of identity. So I think, like, it, was, it wasn't until college where I was, like, reading more, like, bell hooks, and I was reading... Um, Um, Amin Wadud, who's a a feminist Muslim scholar, who's like, oh, this is like actually like making sense to me because it's not just talking about like my womanhood. It's connecting all of these things for me. So I think that was like really powerful. And I think that's kind of the place I've operated from. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, thank you. And. I'm going to shift away from that very thoughtful answer to a question. <laughs> <laughs> to um, I would really, I really enjoy your parents and their relationship with your cat. Oh my gosh, yes! Can we talk about that for yes, a second? Definitely, because it's like one of my favorite things on Instagram. To be totally honest, can you just kind of set the scene for the listeners? Yeah, this is
1: honestly like. I like, I feel like I need to make a film about this or something because it's just so beautiful. <laughs> Basically, like what, shortly after I moved to New York City, I was like, oh, this litter box in my room is not working for me. Um, and I, I asked my parents if or well, actually, they offered to take the cat from me, even though they weren't like thrilled. But like it became the, the cat is the love of their life. <laughs> Her name was Adelaide for two years. When she went to live with them, they were like, that is the whitest name. Her name is now Ladu, which is a Pakistani suite. Um, And so now we call her Ladu because that's their cat. Um, (laughs) Obviously. Seems right. Um, And yeah, they're just like obsessed with her. And it's become like, it's also become a way for them to communicate to me, with me, I guess, because they'll be like oh, um, Ludu is so sad you didn't come home this weekend. <laughs> and I'll be like, Mom, are you sure you're not sad? And she's like, no, no, I'm fine. You can come whenever you want. Lodu but is sad. You should is think that... about
0: the cats. Fine. Right.
1: Even with this trip, my mom was like, she sent me a voice message that was just like, "Laddu wanted to come down south and come home. Why didn't you take her? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I'm like, are you sure this isn't about you, Mom? But no, it's like amazing. And my dad when he co- comes home, he, like, if the cat doesn't come downstairs in time, like, within the first five minutes, he'll, like, go upstairs and bring her down, mm. um, which is amazing. And he- and she'll, like, actually stay downstairs. And then now, recently, she's hasn't been... When I go home, she hasn't been coming and cuddling with me as much or coming in bed with me as much. Mm. And so I told my parents... Um, and like I kid you not, it had been six months she hadn't really come in bed with me. And my dad basically every morning, I told him when I was coming, my dad for two weeks, every morning, every evening, he would talk to her and be like, "Ladu, you have to be nice to my daughter." <laughs> <laughs> you, ha- you have to you have to be kind to her. she's my daughter, oh my I love gosh. her. But, and he I
0: intervenes.
1: He interviewed and I kid you not. She did cuddle with me that weekend. Wow, it's magical. It's truly magical.
0: Well, you can. I mean, even like just seeing the posts and how like how tender they are with her. It's yeah. so sweet. It's like the. It's really just. I don't even understand how to explain it. I love it. Well, Sometimes I
1: want to take her back, but I'm like, they they need to be together. Yeah, no, I can't.
0: It's it's like she does not she hasn't replaced you obviously but right. it's almost like it kind of reminds me of how like the guidance counselor would come to the kindergarten class with like a sock puppet and like <laughs> if you didn't feel comfortable talking yeah. to the guidance counselor you could talk to the sock yeah puppet. yeah like, wow well Ledu, we wish you were here but it makes sense that you you need to be with grandma and grandpa truth except my mom
1: doesn't like when i call her grandma because she says oh. she says her and led are too close in age <laughs> Uh,
0: that, <laughs> forgive me <laughs> forgive me Angbin's mom I know not what I say um, awesome well is there anything else uh, just about you that you want to share while we're on the topic of all things Angbeen?
1: Um I'm working on a pilot for a TV show oh that I've been gosh. writing kind of inspired by my parents but like basically about a Pakistani American family that's like trying to trying to live their best lives super cool yeah so i'm working on that and i'm like trying to write a film script i'm like i'm just trying to do stuff wow and i don't know what will happen with any of it but i'm just trying like you like yourself just just doing it it. yeah put it out in the universe
0: yeah do better job with names than i do that's my (laughs) only (laughs) advice for you oh no (laughs) are you getting backlash for your name no 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 for fucking up other people oh yeah yeah okay yeah 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 (laughs) We are going to talk about what made our feminist hearts sing this week. Um, So, I have a bunch of stuff, and we might not get to all of it. But one thing I did want to shout out is I am loving this podcast called Battle Tactics for Your Sexist Workplace. Ooh. Uh huh. So, um, this is a podcast by two women who um essentially it's it's very research oriented which is one of the things i like about it they go out and they find experts who some of them are sociologists some of them are um you know sort of workplace dynamics experts some of them are you know there's kind of folks from all different realms who look at gender in the workplace and you know sort of specifically how um, those dynamics play out in ways that are harmful to women and it's um i also really appreciate their lens because i hear i've you know in the more racial justice world you hear a lot about like the smog of racism and how Mm. you know we live in a white supremacist society so why should we think that our workplace is like magically exempt from white supremacy yeah it's not it's not um and they have they take the same um approach in terms of um sexism Mm -hmm. essentially that we live in a sexist society so why would we think that we hadn't internalized men and women and Mm -hmm. people of all genders have internalized those um those ideas and they do take an intersectional lens and one of the hosts is white and one is african-american which i also appreciate um, so they're they're not neglecting intersectionality um in their in their um treatment of this this topic so i recently listened to an episode about office housework Ooh. which is I didn't, uh, I, know, uh, I, I didn't have like a name for that yeah. but i knew exactly what it was right, yeah when they start talking about it so like throwing parties for people yeah. or doing like emotional labor right. and you know kind of being the one who's like oh i'll take notes at that right. meeting or you know whatever so um There's also an episode about like who gets mad at work and who gets penalized, which you can you can (laughs) exactly you can probably guess who that is. All that to say, great topics, great hosting, battle tactics for your sexist workplace. It's great. Um, Yeah, I've got some other stuff, but let's hear yours. Sure. So I was in Atlanta over the
1: weekend and we stopped in a comic book store and I saw A pregnant Spider Woman comic book. What? I've never ever seen I've never even conceived that a superhero could be pregnant. And it was just it kind of blew my mind. Yeah. And I've I guess and I have also been thinking about pregnancy a lot. Not because I'm pregnant. (laughs) Is there
0: anything
1: you'd like to tell? (laughs) No, thank you. Don't worry, mom. Um, because one of my best friends is pregnant. And so I've been thinking a lot about what that means and, like, how challenging it is. I'm like, wow, like, Spider Woman must be going through a lot. She was, like, in her, like, third trimester. She was huge. Dang. And it was just, like, it, it felt very powerful. Not in the, like, women can do it all way, but, like, we do do it all. We just mm-hmm. have, we just do. Um, it, And it just felt really special to see that. And, um, you know, I think in a lot of times in superhero books, they... They do do the whole like oh well like what relationship can you have a family can you not have loved ones because you'll be targeted and so like obviously I, I haven't read it or I haven't bought the book but I thought that was just like just a really powerful image to see and I was like I hope we see m- more of this because m- like people who give birth are just like real powerful um, and I think I think that's really special.
0: I wonder if, like, what role the pregnancy played in the story. Exactly. I'm so me curious too. about that. Me
1: too. I really... Oh I need to do some more research. I'm sorry I didn't, folks. But I will.
0: Just knowing it exists makes my feminist heart sing. Yay! So, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Hmm. Pregnant spider woman. Um. Well, we're, <laughs> we're going to shift to... I like. I went back and forth about whether to include this or uh-huh. not, but I I really think that I have to. Okay, so, do it. <clears throat> there is a new min- miniseries coming out soon about Lorena Gallo, more popularly known as Lorena Bobbitt, mm-hmm. and the series was produced by Jordan Peele, and I wow. am very. Okay, I'm in.
1: Jordan Peele, I'm
0: in. Yeah. So what most people know about Lorena Bobbitt's story is that she cut off her husband's dick and <laughs> threw it in the bushes. So sorry. I know, I can't say it without laughing either, but it's no laughing matter. No, When you really get behind the story, it's actually a very sad story. Um, of course, John Wayne Bobbitt had his penis sewed back on um, and became a D-list porn star. And what most people don't know, or maybe they know, knew at the time, but it has kind of gotten lost to history. This happened, I think, in 1993 is that Lorena Bobbitt was um, an immigrant, that she was a victim of prolonged domestic violence and marital rape, and oh, wow. that John Wayne Bobbitt was... Um, oh, and and that she was found not guilty by reason of temporary insanity wow. and actually spent time in an institution wow. um, after this incident. So oh it. I think it's a story that kind of gets you know it's become almost like urban legend-esque and and is funny to people kind of and you know I think a lot of women are like fuck yeah Yeah. cut that guy's dick off but like a lot of other women at the time were like this is really harmful Mm -hmm. this is violence Mm -hmm. this is bad for the women's movement this is bad for feminism Mm -hmm. so a lot of um as I mean and obviously is a very extreme act and not something that you know I think most right. people would endorse, but um, she really maintains that she doesn't remember doing it. And Whoa. was com- in complete blackout wow. and so desperate to, um, you know, of what being raped again, that that, oh was the, the, that was the stuff that she felt right. like um, she needed to take. So this is this is part of the reason why I hesitated to talk yeah. about this because it is really a sad story. Yeah. However... Um, Oh, also, John Wayne Bobbitt served jail time for violence against two different women after the incident. So he, of course, you know, maintains his innocence. But, like, that guy's a dirtbag, like, you know, and um, pretty verifiably so. So um, there's a great story about her and about the series in The New York Times, which I will link on the website. And it makes the point that around this time, so, again, this was 93, there was actually a whole series of stories around this time that really put violence against women in the spotlight Mm -hmm. and like mistreatment and harassment of women so you had the Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill hearings Mm, the O.J. Simpson trial um Monica Lewinsky and um and Tonya Harding which happened right after this actually all died down so um And now we've seen TV and filmmakers are are picking these all of actually all All of those stories. Yeah, to think of it, um, have been picked up lately. And so, um, which actually we've talked about the um, Monica Lewinsky um, kind of scandal on this show before about how we're really these stories are being given a very kind of these are really sensationalized stories that were kind of. you know really reflected our lack maybe sort of cultural lack of sophistication in terms of how we think about gender and gender dynamics at the time um, and are being given a much more thoughtful treatment now and so that's the part of this that actually does make me really happy as a feminist it's like Lorena Bobbitt has lived as kind of the butt of a joke Um, let's, let's let me call her by her actual name that she goes by now Lorena Gallo um and for d- decades now right. and so she's getting to tell her side of the story yeah. and i think it's a story that's going to be if jordan peele is involved makes me feel like it's going to be told in a way that's thoughtful that is um intersectional mm-hmm. and that also um you know we'll look at i think it's important to talk about the feminist um because feminists don't always have to like agree with each other about everything. Like we can have radically different interpretations about who someone is or their actions or their, you know, their, because obviously there's, you know, for every woman out there, there's, um, there's that many brains and that many different ways of seeing things. So I'm happy about that. Um, and I'm happy that that story is getting told. I also really was pretty thrilled by Stacey Abrams' response to the State of the Union, um, in part just because I love her. Yeah, she's time Anytime I get to see her speak, um, it's very inspiring. And she was like, she was critical, <clears throat> but she was also like aspirational and she really yeah. articulated an affirmative vision for what the country should be mm-hmm. which i appreciated um, so much and she said a lot of great things but there are two passages that really stood out to me she said while i acknowledge the results of the 2018 election here in georgia i did not and we cannot accept efforts to undermine our right to vote that's why i started a nonpartisan organization called fair fight to advocate for voting rights so you know hollered that and um, she went on to say this is the next it's kind of long so bear with me and and listen and you know I feel kind of weird like saying her words but go and listen to the speech because it's awesome Um, but I wanted to just kind of mentioned these these two passages. She said, this is the next battle for our democracy, one where all eligible citizens can have their say about the vision we want for our country. We must reject the cynicism that says allowing every eligible vote to be cast and counted is a quote unquote power grab. Americans understand that these are the values our brave men and women in uniform and our veterans risk their lives to defend. The foundation of our moral leadership around the globe is free and fair elections snaps for that, um, where voters pick their leaders, not where politicians pick their voters. Yeah, go girl. I know. And then late, she's so classy. She says, um, even as I'm very disappointed by the president's approach to our problems, I still don't want him to fail. But we need him to tell the truth and to respect his duties and the extraordinary diversity that defines America. Oh my gosh,
1: go Stacey
0: Abrams! So I'm I, brava! I love 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 her, and I'm so proud that she was the one to offer this inspiring response. Yeah, seriously, I love
1: I just love all of that, and I just think like. The affirmative vision for America is really like, and I'll talk a little bit about this in my Hall of Fame, but I think that's really important and Mm -hmm. like really critical that we're not just responding to things, but actually trying to build a future and build something different
0: and build towards something with, with, with like meaning in our hearts while we do it. Yeah. Feel the same. Awesome. (laughs) Any any other feminist heart things you want to slide
1: in? So I so I saw the story of one nine-year-old that I want to talk about. Her name is Hallie Moore Moore, and she's from Baltimore. And, you know, I'm a poet, so I love her because she is nine years old and she published her poetry book. And it's all about like feminism (laughs) and spirituality and like racism and just like everything. And it's called, I think it's called The Pages of Life. Wow. And I'm just like, wow, a nine-year-old, you already know about life. Wow. Wow. I know. I, I want to read it. I know, me too. I was like, she needs to be featured somewhere mm-hmm. I, and bring her to Montgomery. Yeah. I don't know. Do something. Um, I think young people are amazing. Um, I agree. And, you know, and it's just really, it's really cool to see folks do stuff like that and be just like thinking critically. I think a lot of times like what we see in the news media like millennials are so dumb or like gen x so dumb and it's like and it's just a way to put down people it really is just a way to put down people because folks are scared of what's to come like what happens when these people have power and actually try to confront oppressive
0: institutions Mm -hmm. or take your guns away
1: yeah Mm -hmm.
0: (coughs) yep yep All of that. Um, Okay, Hallie, I'm coming for your book, girl, and I'm gonna buy that spider Spider Woman. Yes, (laughs) I almost said Spider Man. Like, like my (laughs) it's like my brain isn't trained to say Spider Woman. Welcome to the Spider Verse, Adrian. I know I need to get my shit together. (laughs) I have to do a corrections corner about Spider Woman. I, I i'm trying to lump you into the <laughs> neglect I'm like i haven't done nothing i um, Bean has been totally slacking on <laughs> dear feminist hot dog lately because i haven't had any good questions but i did get a question this week and it actually um fits right in with the battle tactics for your sexist workplace um Ooh. podcast because it's another workplace question so Dear Feminist Hot Dog, any advice on raising everyday minor unequal treatments between men and women in the workplace with a superior? No examples. Short and sweet. Yes. No signature. Wait, so can you repeat that again? Yes. Any advice on raising everyday minor unequal treatments between men and women Mm. in the workplace with a superior? Oh, that's a tough one. It is. That's a really tough one. I mean, my first thought is Is there, what is the workplace culture in terms of talking about unequal treatment of any kind? Yeah. Like, has that been discussed? Is it something that you got in your orientation that that's a value of the company or the community or whatever it is? Right. um, The organization. And if so, that's a starting point. Yes, I definitely. Guess. Like saying, hey, I know this is a organizational value. Right. And in that spirit, there's something I'd like to talk yeah. about. Um, could
1: be an opening. That's always helpful to point to something larger in the organization. Be like, hey, I thought this was what we were working towards. Mm-hmm. My other thought is like, what is your relationship with your superior? Mm. Do they trust you? Do they like you? I mean, unfortunately, that does play a role. Um, because if you're kind of at odds, you can. D- I think you should still try to bring it up, but it's going to be in a different way. I mm-hmm. think compared to whether compared to if you all meet regularly and they're really like like you, are they the ones giving you unequal treatment, mm. or are you getting it from somewhere else in the organization? yeah it's always a
0: little easier when you're talking about a third party than when you're confronting the person like I'm going to give you the gift of feedback now you're welcome right Uh, not everybody sees it that way although I mean everybody should everyone should it's interesting I went to a um, I went to Netroots last year which is um, like a quote unquote progressive digital online Mm -hmm. organizing conference and I went to a toxic workplace session, Ooh. which was very interesting. So we had to do these little like plans, kind of like here's a scenario, and now you create a plan for the yeah. person about how they're gonna what you think they should do, um, and and implement all the things that the that the person had talked about in the in the presentation. And so my group, there was a situation where I think there was kind of. Um, like the double like double race racism and sexism whammy going on Mm -hmm. in our scenario and we were making sort of making recommendations about what this person should do and there were two people involved and they you know who they who they should talk to and how they should try to talk to the person who was doing the bad behavior and talk to the superior and this and that and when we presented our scenario back to the workshop leader, she said, actually, in this situation, I think that the person should leave. Ooh. And we were like, what? No, because then nothing changes. Yeah. and no- Nobody ever, you know, and she He's said, accountable. if you um, this is a situation where the chances of this backfiring and having it. Re, you, retaliation yeah. having this end up hurt that person more to the point where they right. might like not end up with a good reference or mm. might be, you know, um, she was like, I know it feels like we're all these justice oriented people. Um, so it feels unjust to, to say like, you should leave that environment. Yeah. But that um, ultimately like you have, you cannot do justice work if you're being like beat down at work and then yeah. like, jeopardizing your opportunities for advancement in your right. career because you have this kind of mark on your record yeah as unjust as that is and i just was like this it, like v- i had this visceral reaction of like right. how fucked up that is but also yeah. like she was like trust me on this like mm. it's bad but um in, you know know that like i've been in this for a long time and it's like that person's life will be better if they don't like stay and try to fight this situation. So, I mean, I'm, I still have a visceral reaction. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean,
1: that's really tough because I've been in situations where it seems like things will never change, Mm -hmm. but someone does something about it or has like mini interventions Mm -hmm. and things do change very, very slowly and very, very slightly and opens up opportunity for other folks. But I think that really ends up depending on the messenger mm. and what kind of culture already exists. Yeah, um, Because if you're, for example, a woman of color, you might not be heard in the same way as a white woman. Yep. That's just the truth of it. Um, so it really, if you, and that re- re- retaliation is very real. Um, So it's really like it's really hard and it's it sucks that it has to come down to like, oh, you just need to leave because I think we all want to feel like we can change our systems and change our organizations. But if it's really taking a toll on you and the way forward is the way that will end up harming you, Mm -hmm. then it doesn't really benefit you and it ultimately probably won't benefit other folks like especially if you've done what you can
0: um yeah it, which is another i think reason why folks who have more like dominant identities if you see that shit happening in your workplace right. you need to say something you need to be the one yeah, yeah. speak the fuck up um all right well I agree that I think a lot of it does depend on the relationship with the supervisor, whether the supervisor is the perpetrator of the mm-hmm. unequal um, treatment. Um, and I, I wish I had had time to go back and, and check out the podcast to see if they have an episode on this, but I bet you they do. They probably do. And if they I'm don't, sure they do. I bet um, you could write to them and they yeah. probably do one. Cause I think this is an excellent question. And that, um, that house, but would, would, do we call it office housework is yeah. kind of an example like that would be i think an example of she's saying like minor unequal treatments right but that shit builds up it and builds it takes up. up your time that you then are not spending like Writing or doing your having other ideas yeah. or kicking ass in some yeah. other way that could yeah. like get you further in your career, so it can really, I mean, it really can have this. is kind of a death by a thousand cuts, yeah. Situation 100%. Um, all right, great. Well, I hope we've at least given you something to think about. Um, ask her of this question, and I hope you let us know if you take that advice and let us know what happens. <laughs> Well, here's the part where I wish I had my Glockenspiel <laughs> and, and a better singing voice. The Hot Dog Hall of Fame. Um, hey, that was pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> that, one, that one actually came out a little less froggy than usual. So I'm going to turn this over to my guests because I think you said you had two. I have two. Awesome. Okay, I well, then I'm, I'm off the hook this week. Yeah, so let's hear about your. You're famers.
1: Sure. So my first person is um, this woman named Claire either Lemlich or Lemlich, who I heard about <clears throat> through New York. The New York Times does obituaries for people they kind of like missed. So it's called It's Overlooked um, because they recognize that most of the obituaries they've done are of white men. Um, so they go back in time and do obituaries of lesser known folks. <laughs> Um, and i I didn't know who she was at all. Um, and basically, she's born somewhere in Russia, and she moved here when she was seventeen. Um, and became this like badass activist organizer of um, work of workers who like w- worked, for example, in mostly women who worked in like uh, ta- not tailoring. What is it called, like when you sew things? I don't um, know. Like, the see, peop- a seamstress? Like, people who worked at the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. Oh,
0: there's a na- there is a name for that. There is a
1: name. For- I'm sorry, I didn't bring notes. But anyway, like, of factory workers, mostly women. Um, and she organized, like, one of the largest um, protests of, tw- I think it was 20,000 workers in New York City. Um, and they, almost all of those people got unions. Except the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, which the the folks who, like, had the biggest voice there were men. They refused to participate in the protest. And they didn't get, obviously didn't get a union. And that was also the factory that burned down because of the terrible conditions. Dang. So, yeah, she was, like, super badass. She used to go to meetings with her kids, which was, like, unheard of. She was, like, not going to give that up. Um, she organized a lot of Yiddish folks. She organized people around housing because tenements were a big thing. This was the 1920s, I mm-hmm. believe. Um, so just like all of this stuff. And even when she was put into, even this was my favorite thing. When she was put, she went to a nursing home in California, I think, um, in the 60s. And she got folks to support the um <coughs> the united farm workers movement and in the nursing home in the nursing oh, home love and it. she was organizing the workers in the nursing home to like start a union yeah and of course like, that makes total sense why wouldn't you mm-hmm. um so i think just like it's a for me her story is just a reminder of like all the people that we don't get to hear about who are doing all this amazing organizing and activism work um and we usually just like look to leaders. And I think actually now we're t- there's a more holistic approach and there are leaders, but we are seeing like, it's more spread out. The leadership is being more spread out um, compared to like with the civil rights movement, we only hear about MLK and mm-hmm. occasionally ML- Malcolm X. Um, I think we're finally, hearing about other folks who are involved and I think just as a woman bringing your kids to a meeting and like you know that's a thing that we're only getting comfortable with doing now and barely (laughs) and barely Mm -hmm. Um, don't try to breastfeed them oh definitely (laughs) don't take your titties out Um, but I think that was really powerful so she's definitely one of my hot dog hall of famers hey welcome tell me her name again Claire Lemlich Welcome, Claire. Yay, Claire. Um, and then the second person is Adrienne Marie Brown, who I am obsessed with right now. Um, she's a black feminist author. I think she's a doula. She does a million other things. Um, she's based in Detroit. And I and she's she co-edited um, Octavia's Brood, mm-hmm. which is um, an anthology of stories and essays based on or around Octavia Butler's kind of science fiction and novels inspired by that Afrofuturism and most recently she wrote a book called Emergent Strategy which I was really hesitant to read because I thought it was like a business book I was like what is this?
0: It sounds like a communications strategy or something like that.
1: Yeah, I was like, I don't think this is my scene. But when I started reading it, I was just, my mind was really blown. Um, And I really don't know how to describe it. She focuses it a lot around Octavia Butler. Mm -hmm. She's very inspired by Octavia Butler's vision and about this idea that science fiction can help build our future, which I'm really in love with these days. And like, I am obsessed with that idea. And I think that's really important of imagining a new way forward and imagining something so different from what we have now. Um, I think that's really powerful. And she also, so she talks a lot about change and how change, let me read actually, one of the things from, Octavia Butler's book um, that she brings up a lot, which is, all that you touch you change. All that you change, changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. Wow. I was just, And that's from Parable of the Hour, which is an amazing book, and you should all read. But, I don't know, that idea really stuck with me. And she also just talks about how the way forward for all of us and the way towards liberation for all of us is in collaboration with each other, and that means that our, like conflict will arise. Mm-hmm. That's just a natural part of working together, but it doesn't mean we can't work through it. Um, and I think she uses a lot of examples from nature to kind of support her arguments, um, which I really think is powerful. And there's just one passage that I really want to read from here that I I really love, and I've been thinking about a lot because I've been thinking about vulnerability a lot and what that means. Especially for me, I feel like I I put up a lot of walls. Um, So I've been thinking about this a lot. She says, do you already know that your existence, who and how you are, is in and of itself a contribution to the people and place around you? Not after or because you do some particular thing, but simply the miracle of your life and that the people around you and the places have contributions as well. Do you understand that your quality of life and your survival are tied to how authentic and generous the connections are between you and the people and place you live with and in? Are you actively practicing generosity and vulnerability in order to make the connections between you and others clear, open, available, durable? Generosity here means giving of what you have without strings or expectations attached. Vulnerability means showing your needs.
0: That's like me. I know. I'm, <laughs> I'm like about to cry. <laughs> hurry up a little bit. That's so
1: intense. Yo, and the whole book is like that and also you don't have to read the book in order it's like a collection of essays and poems and she has other people write about different things and i'm just like i was just so taken aback by that book wow so i definitely recommend everyone read it and she's i i just love her stuff and everything this is an emergent strategies book yeah i'm downloading it like immediately (laughs) like i'm
0: like where's my phone right
1: everybody needs it like today Um, But yeah, and her website is amazing. She has like amazing like um, invocations on there or like gratitude exercises or, you know, affirmations. And sometimes I go on there to find that. Yeah, I just, I'm like deeply in love with it. And I, when I'm doing something, I often think about that. Like sometimes my inclination when I'm having conflict with someone is like, I don't want to deal with you no more. Mm -hmm. And I mean, sometimes that's a valid thing to do. Yeah. But sometimes... I feel like it, it's actually a conversation that I could have. And it's something like where I have to imagine a different possibility. And I have to imagine there might there's this thing that I think will happen, but what about the thing that I don't know will happen? Yeah. And a lot of times that thing is true. I feel like in my life, and with especially with my family, we've been having lots of conversations that I didn't think were possible um, with a lot of different loved ones. And I'm like, oh, like it's not always true but sometimes it is true that people will surprise you yeah wow well yeah. thank you
0: yeah i had like a real physical reaction to i know to your reading i, last I last like last almost month. started crying while i was I'm reading like, I'm it. Like, i feel like this lump coming into my throat yeah and I, i'm like not not expecting that's never happened to me during a podcast before thank you <laughs> you're welcome oh my goodness gracious I sound like my grandma. I've been living in the South too long. My my Lord, land sakes alive. Um, Well, that, on that really powerful, poignant note, I think that's a good place to draw our conversation to a conclusion which I have enjoyed so much. You were there from the very beginning of Feminist Hot I'm so thrilled that you were able to make the time to do this while you're here. Thank Thank you, you. Adrienne, for having me on. I appreciate it. And... Let's make sure you come back when your chat book happens, when your script is cooking. I want to hear about all all of your many, many, um, many things that you've got in the works. I would love to. Thank you all for being here and listening in. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and the Facebooks, and to join our mailing list too, because we're also cooking up some merch. So I'm going oh, to. I know. Big things happening in 2019 for feminist hot dogs. So don't miss the train, y'all. Thanks for being here. Our theme music is by Ava Luna and Loyalty Freak Music. And as always, love yourself and love your bones. Goodbye.